When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, hey, it's Josh, and uh, we've got a special programming note. This week's episode needs to be played very, very loud. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Sorry, you want to ask a ground rules question? Yes, go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a, I'm a guest on your home field, and uh, I want to I want to find out if um, I can name a favorite concert film of all time that you directed. If I, no, oh, okay. if I've never if I've never seen it, <laughs> you can you can name it, but you know you have to come clean about having not. Seen I, it. I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to uh, go to the parliamentarian. Okay, Josh. <laughs> Josh, I think you. I did think you, you watch? Did you not same. watch it last night? Uh, which one is that? Did, oh, are we talking about the same thing? You yes, seen we're yet. talking about uh, no nukes, and it's it's waiting for me. It has gone out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we watched uh, it. we watched it last night. Are you kidding? Um, okay, I was I was waiting for my hard copy to arrive. You you yeah no it's it's uh, it's on Blu-ray. Um, our mine mine yeah. got mine yesterday. Uh, oh, you got yours yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mine hasn't arrived yet. Uh, okay, guys, I gotta go. I gotta find the mailman <laughs> and uh, it, it is. It is. Uh, uh, I mean, just the fact that I remember when I saw the No Nukes movie going, so they got all this footage. When are we going to see this? Um, and not yeah. just Bruce, uh, but yeah, it's Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band at their absolute pinnacle. Yeah. And he was psychotic about not being filmed. So there isn't, you know, there's some video stuff sporadically, but this is it for film. And Haskell Wexler shot it and supervised the, the resident. I mean, it's just, I, I, we're yeah. actually. We're actually in a golden age of this stuff. Yeah. Because, yeah, because yeah, of computer technology and um, all of us who remember old acts having some cash around from our social security, uh, they are hauling stuff out of vaults and resyncing it. And yeah. it's a constant thing of, of live recordings that they're finding and live albums and yeah. videos and things. But, but film like this of this band at that point yeah. is so rare. And it's just, it's yeah. incredible. It's like, I knew they were that good. I remember, it's been, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not, not that they're not still, but it's, uh, quite, yeah. it's quite, it's quite a vote now, you know, with the Peter Jackson Beatles movie, and, yeah. uh, they read the Franklin movie that finally came out of uh, hiding. Uh, there's if you you know the one that Sydney Sydney Pollock did. Yes. Oh, oh Aretha Franklin. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that is so good. I mean, which which what was it? So they, they couldn't sync it or something. They they she didn't, she didn't want it seen. Right, but there was a sync issue too, where like somebody yes, had to sync the whole they, thing by hand. 
they had to yes, take it by hand. There are no slates. slates. Yeah. There are no slates. There were but, no slates. <laughs> but you know, all this stuff is if you live long enough, you know, you might yeah. get to see the magnificent Ambersons put back together. But you'd have to really <laughs> live pretty long. It's just imagine imagine the day when Magnificent Ambersons and the day the clown cried are showing around the corner from you and you're like, eh, pff, seen them. Been <laughs> <laughs> there, done that. Yeah, I got the I got the 16K Blu-ray and my chip installed in my head. Um uh well that was fun. Well, our, our our guest today, I'm not I'm not particularly familiar with him, but I, I've been told never personally I've, I've never heard of him. I've been told that he's got a he's very prolific and that he has got, <laughs> got a huge resume that dates back to long, long ago, certainly before I was born. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. and has now has has now opened up a new uh, avenue for his talents, which is that he's become uh, a film teacher. Yes. And he's he's imparting his knowledge, hard earned, by the way, uh, to various uh, and sundry young people who are obviously opening their eager mouths to be fed like birds of this information anywhere <laughs> else. Alan Arkish, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes, Alan Arkish. And they they uh, they told us that he had uh, some some movie coming out. Speaking of uh, rock and roll classics finally being restored so that we can see them. But um, no, I don't, we can't keep pretending. This, this is ridiculous. But anyway, Get Crazy, which is a, a, a wonderful film, which um, uh, I have been showing to people on um, I guess you're not going to report me. Actually, you may have sent me one. So if you do, I'm taking you with me, buddy. Yeah, I, I sent you a, I sent you a two. I had a shitty QuickTime video, like yeah. a couple of years, yeah, for many years, um, that that I would show people, and um, uh, it's lovely. It's coming. It's out now. Uh, well, I've been personally distributing it one copy at a time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Off of my my crappy VHS, which is in three by four and mono. But now Kino is uh, doing a much better job than you. They've they've restored it onto Blu-ray. All the music intact, right? Because that was the yeah. issue. There are all these amazing bands. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And um, six by nine uh, surround stereo, just the whole thing that the way we originally intended it. And the, the good part was I was able to go back and play with the color even more because um, I always wanted it to look like a Tashlin movie. Uh, you know, uh, kind of really rich, you know, 50s Technicolor. And wherever that wasn't there in the original shooting, because, you know, we shot it in 37 days, and um, I put it in, in the color uh, transfer and so forth. And then I got together with the original editing team, Mark Goldblatt and Kent Beta and everybody, and we took $4,000 and we made almost three hours worth of video extras for $4,000. And we had $200 left over, which we gave to Roger. Um, <laughs> that's a really inside baseball joke. Yes. Um, so that's, yeah. So it comes out on the sixth. Um, uh, yeah, no, I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait to uh, finally see it the way it's meant to be seen. Run, run them through, because I don't want to just read it. Who, who's in this film? Who are the bands? Who, who performed in this thing? Um, well, Lou Reed. Uh, and he he does, yep. And uh, Malcolm McDowell plays Reggie Wanker, uh, who um, who is sort of a combination of Rod Stewart and Mick Jagger. Uh, and then there's an all-girl band, which is my homage 
to the girl groups going back to from the Chantels to Riot Girls. So every single member of the girl group is like from another era of rock. And um, they sing this song called Not Gonna Take It No More. And they were all in their 20s when they made the movie. But we got them back together again. Now they're in their 50s and 60s. And they redid the song, lip syncing to wherever they are in the world into their iPhones. Yes, I see this video, it's wonderful. Yes, and Mark Helfer cut it together and their enthusiasm is so great. If nothing else comes out of this, I'm happy that they got to, in fact, the drummers back playing drums, you know, and uh, so that we did that. And um, everyone who was in the movie, uh, Danny Stern, you know, uh, everyone uh, came and did the extras and they all did the interviews, they did all the extras by Zoom. And um, God, I, oh, Captain Cloud, you know, uh, Howard Kalen of the Turtles. And uh, Howard is, is, he truly is Captain Cloud. And, uh, you know, Flo and Eddie and all that stuff. And he, he does a lot of, of, uh, of interviewing in the movie and, and in certain cases gives his history of rock music from his point of view. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in it. We got all the original music back, the Spark songs, uh, there's a rare Ramon song in it. Um, we've also found out that nobody owns the soundtrack anymore. And uh, it, it was, uh, it was, we won't go, I won't go into the boring details about how difficult it was. Uh, yeah, to find <laughs> 38 years later, get the negative, the picture, and all the paperwork. Especially for, for the an independent movie. Yeah. 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 That was owned by four people and was, um, but let's let's talk about the history of rock and roll. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. And also, you know what occurs to me too. Maybe we'll, uh, if it's okay with you, I'd love to tack it on at the end uh, of this episode. Alan <laughs> did we an insane solid a while back. We showed uh, rock and roll high school at my weekly movie night um, when we were locked up in quarantine um, and going crazy. That uh, um, and we were sort of. Uh, watching movies we could en engage with online, so to speak. And uh, I, I asked Alan if he would just record a little like one minute introduction. And instead he gave me this 10 minute uh, explanation of the history of the film that Joe, I'm not even sure you know this. That sounds like Alan. <laughs> but, and uh, none of it was true, Joe. I told yeah, him he goes on about how meeting Patichewski and how Patichewski pitched him on the idea for uh, what became Rock and Roll High School. <laughs> And he was so good that a couple of my friends actually thought he was sincere. Uh, so I'd love to throw the audio for that on at the end of this episode. That's pretty great. It was really fun. You remember Joe when when Patty used to come by the editing room looking for work all the time? Well, yeah, he was. I always thought he was looking for bottles, but you know, <laughs> just me. Uh, yes, one of the great great unsung Corman alums, Patty Chayefsky. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, let's talk. You want to talk about rock and roll movies, Alan? Uh, yeah, yeah, so we should. Uh, who's, uh, yeah. Um, I've kind of divided them into different groupings, you know, and. Uh, Wait, I also, I so have what? to ask, Alan sent me. Yeah, I know, a huge, <laughs> a huge pile of titles with did different you, did groupings. Did you get it and... down to a manageable level or do I need I to got clear my down, decks probably. for the whole afternoon? <laughs> But we still have to start with Let There Be Light. Okay. You know? and, uh, and so, you know, the first rock and roll song is either Rocket 88 
you know, with uh, Ike Turner or Good Rockin' Tonight or Saturday Night Fish Fry. You know, that's kind of the ones in the early 50s. But uh, I want to talk about the first song, rock and roll song in a movie. Yes. In a pretty good movie. You know? um, and that it would be Blackboard Jungle. And uh, it was a needle drop. Uh, Bill Haley and the Comets were, hmm, I don't want to be mean, but they are a mediocre band. And uh, they were doing yes. rockabilly. Yeah. yeah. And they had this song that they were kind of being forced to record by their manager called 13 Women and Only One Man in Town. Well, the farmer went off and the high was caught. I was the only man on the ground. There was a 13 women and only one man in town. 13 women and only one man in town. And it was just as good as that title. And, <laughs> Great title. And it took them so long to do it that they didn't have time to do a B-side. And so they said, why don't we take that jam we do at the end of all our shows and just do that? We'll do like a three-minute version of that. And that was Rock Around the Clock. And they did one take, and the guitar player screwed up in the second half. So now they're they got to get out of the studio. And so they do another take and uh, he screws up in the first half, but they get it complete. And he did something that was totally unheard of to, at the time. They cut the two together. This was not a, a uh, this is a new concept. And they put it out as the B-side and 13 women and no man in town, just stiffs. Now there's <laughs> this kid <laughs> in uh, Hollywood, USA, Actually, if we were to triangulate where all of us are right now, he would be almost dead center at Wallach's Music Store. Uh, yeah, Wallach's Music City. Wallach's Music City. Music yeah. City, that's right. On the right. corner of Vine Street and uh, Sunset. Yep. And used to be able to sit in a booth and listen to the, song, the records before you bought them. And this kid, Peter Ford, collected records, like records. And... Um, He's listening to, you know, 13 women, only a man in town. And he doesn't even finish the first listen to it. He turns it over and he hears rock around the clock. And he goes, oh, I'm buying this. And so he takes it home and plays it endlessly, much to the chagrin of his parents. When his dad walks by the, the door and he says, what is that? He says, oh, it's a rock around the clock. No one knows what goes. You know, that would be really good for the movie I'm doing. His dad is Glenn Ford. <laughs> and so Glenn Ford brings it to Richard Brooks, right? Richard Brooks hears and goes, let's put it in the movie. So it goes in the movie, right? And when the movie, over, there's already tension in the air about juvenile delinquency in general. And the first rock and roll concert, Alan Freed's concert, uh, Moondog Matinee, never gets past the first song. They do one song and the kids go crazy dancing and stuff. So the police shut it down. Well, rock around the clock. Every kid is not used to hearing rock and roll loud. They hear it on a little portable radio. We're talking oh, 1955. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And on the big speakers comes rock around the clock and they all go crazy. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock. Tonight, put your strap bags up, join me home, we'll have some fun when the birds go. 
And in one theater, they probably tore up the seats. And this becomes a big problem so much, Joe, mm -hmm. you'll love this, that they used to cut the song out of the movie. <laughs> and for the cities. safety of the patrons. For the safety of the people. And J. Edgar Hoover gives a speech about the danger of teenagers in general. And he gets in Dwight Eisenhower's ear. And during his 1955 State of the Union address, he talks about the dangers of teenagers and the crimes that they will commit. <laughs> and along with this, of course, goes a book that came out saying the comic books were poisoning us and so forth. So against this backdrop, Chuck Berry appears. He really, to me, invented rock and roll. You know, he's the guy. And um, he did a bunch of movies with Alan Freed because they became friends. So the Alan Freed, the maker of uh, rock and roll concerts that caused riots, did a bunch of these movies together. Um, Alan Freed and Chuck uh, got along real well, and they did Rock, 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 uh, Mr. Rock and Roll, and Go, Johnny, Go. And they're mostly mediocre movies, to put it kindly. Um, and the bands in the movies are much better than the stories, but often the bands were filmed separately in another right. place, and it shows, and the audiences just sit there. And they're usually lip syncing? Uh, yes, lip syncing. And um, in Go Johnny Go, Chuck is alive in a way that when he comes on the screen, he is everything you want rock and roll to be. And, you know, they would cut to the other, to the audience members. They would be usually people in, in kind of clothes you wear to the prom, sitting at tables and stuff. But Chuck, and um, Alan Freed had real chemistry together. So uh, if you watch this Go Johnny Go, it's you'll see Alan Freed and Chuck having a friendship that is just terrific, you know. And um, one of the things about Chuck that's really interesting is his lyrics. Um, yeah. You know, he really invented the rock and roll lyric. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, way back up in the woods among the evergreens. There stood a log cabin made of earth and wood where lived the country boy named Johnny V. Good. I mean, that is a pretty good verse, you know? You know, my temperature's rising, the jukebox blowing a fuse. My heart beats a rhythm and my soul keeps us singing the blues. Roll over Beethoven, tell Tchaikovsky the news. I mean, these are pretty good lyrics and he's never been talked about as a lyricist. Um, uh, I'm on a jet to the prom, working on a T-bone steak a la carte, flying over to the Golden State. When the pilot told us in 13 minutes he would set us at the at the terminal gate. Now uh, these are the pattern, and he influenced everybody after that. Um, here's another one. Um, uh, if you're sick of hanging around, you'd like to travel. You're tired of traveling. You want to settle down. I guess they can't revoke your soul for trying. Get out of the door, light out, and look all around. Sometimes the lights are shining on me. Other times I can barely see. Lately, it occurs to me what a long, strange trip it's been. That's not <laughs> Chuck Berry. <laughs> yeah. That is the Grateful Dead doing Chuck Berry. Uh, doing that syncopated, wonderful lyric stuff. Plus, as he puts it, 
he could play the guitar like a ring in the bell, except Chuck opened an integrated nightclub, which did not put him in good stead with people. And he shouldn't have, well, he shouldn't have slept with this 14 year old Apache girl. And he got arrested for the Man Act and it set him way back. And from then on in his career, he maintained little interest in, in doing more than showing up. And that's where I inter interfaced with him at the Fillmore where he would come in with a guitar and a case and a briefcase. And before he, and you had to supply the band and right. they had to learn all the Chuck Berry songs in one or two keys. He never rehearsed with them. He walked to the side of the stage, opened his briefcase and you put 15, half his money in it. He'd walk on the stage with the briefcase. So he always had his eye on it, the guitar. And he would yell out, roll over Beethoven and G and off they go um and then he played he'd come off the stage and get his other half of the money which made for some mediocre shows but one of those pickup bands josh was the e street band yeah that's correct yeah bruce Springsteen. well another thing that happened is the who were on the same show with chuck berry one night and the who asked to go on so i saw the who play johnny be good with chuck oh berry. wow it was <laughs> It was fucking epic. And so Pete Townsend duck walking and Chuck Berry duck walking back and forth. They did about three or four songs. So years go by and, and Chuck continues this mediocrity, which gets under the skin of Chuck's biggest fan, which is Keith Richards. Mm -hmm. And uh, I won't go into the famous story of how Keith and Mick met, but it's, it's about Chuck. And so Keith likes Chuck and they get along and he decides I'm going to put together the best band I can and film Chuck with the kind of musicians he deserves. I'm going to get Taylor Hackford to shoot it. And they make hail, hail rock and roll, which I think is really a great concert film. Oh, you yeah. know, and it really is. And, um, it's got Eric Clapton in it, Etta James, Linda Ronstadt, Robert Cray, and most important of all, it's got this guy named Johnny Johnson. Chuck Berry used the same piano player for years, and his name was Johnny Johnson. And so next time, all, all you listeners go straight to your Spotify accounts and, and put up a Chuck Berry song, and you will hear a piano that pushes the guitar. And when Chuck started going solo, Johnny Johnson lost his career and became a bus driver. Mm. And uh, Chuck, Keith Richards pulled him out of that bus. And there he is in the movie. And one of the best things in the movie. Now, the first song that the Rolling Stones played by Chuck Berry was O'Carroll. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And there is a great scene in the movie where they're rehearsing O'Carroll and Chuck keeps stopping it and instructing Keith Richards how to play O'Carroll. And there's smoke coming out of Keith Richards' ears. It's a great <laughs> documentary moment. And he just won't let it go. Uh, but the concert's great. And so that's on my list of all-time favorite rock and roll movies. Yeah, that's a great film. That's a great It's film. got a lot of stuff in it. And when you see the difference of how Chuck is photographed and looked at by the camera in this and the early stuff, it kind of one of the things with the early 50s rock movies is that they did this kind of directing which i call 
uh, stand over there. We'll shoot you from here. You know, don't come near us. You know, it's um, it's I guess the term is gaze. You know, the gaze of the camera is a racial gaze. You know, just be over there, and we'll film it. The camera has no interest in the in the music, mm -hmm. and the people as extras. And sometimes when you see a movie as good as The Girl Can't Help It, and Little Richard is awesome in the movie. You know, you cut to the audience and they're all sitting there drinking like coffee, you know. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of takes the air out of all that stuff. You know? How did how did um, he end up in that? Is that a um I guess the record company or no, no, I mean the studio made the uh, made the deals. They want to do a music movie. And as as much as I admire Frank Tashlin. And Get Crazy is tremendously influenced by Frank Tashlin and Jerry Lewis. And this one, Hell's a Poppin'. Uh, hmm. I loved Hell's a Poppin'. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for yeah, showing that me. That's a, a Joe Dante Perel, yes. Yeah, exactly. That the original drafts of the movie was actually called Hell's a Rockin'. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, yeah. Among the sins that the releasing company did was force me to change the title. Um, oh, sorry, of your any, movie. Okay, I get it. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Get Crazy was called Hell's a Rockin' for a couple of drafts that Danny did. Um, so as much as I like, you can tell that Frank Tashin really doesn't like rock and roll. You know, and that he's rock around the rock pile and his attitude is clear. Mm -hmm. So it was a while, you know, until certain generations grew up that the rock movie became you know what it is today um but joe what's the song that it's a sam cook song that's in the credits of one of your movies at the end oh it's uh, twi uh, twisting twisting the night away twisting the night away and such a great usage of that and that's kind of my next topic is needle drops Mm. which are Juriger everywhere and rock around the clock is technically the first needle drop you know and they've just become in the texture of uh of all our movies that we watch the needle drop is, drop is rampant I mean if if we have to watch one more movie where people are in a car and they're singing along at the top of their lungs together and smiling that seems to be a staple you know I you know and it's a bonding thing yeah it's a bonding <laughs> thing and you know they're all not as good as as tiny dancer you know right. uh from cameron crowe's movie almost famous although but, although wayne's world bohemian rhapsody comes pretty close exactly <laughs> and the morons at the studio said why are you using that old song oh <laughs> it was a huge fight about using that song you know Another example of a, of a needle drop that everyone was against is when they were making The Graduate. All right. Mike Nichols wanted to use some contemporary music. And so as a temp, he put Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme in the opening. And like all of us, I mean, Joe, you can, how many times have you fallen in love with your mm -hmm. temp? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, well, you, you, you always do. But in, the, in, in that case, I mean, the, 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 the temp is the movie. Yes, yeah. exactly. 
And it was the first example. Well, they wanted to get that, and the studio kept fighting them. And so they went, well, how about we get Simon Garfunkel to write a new score? You know, you like him so much. So they go to them, and we can't do it. We're doing, we're out and tour with Bridge Over Troubled Waters. I mean, you couldn't be bigger. And so Mike Nichols, according to legend, begs them, do you have a, a part of a song we can have? Is there something you can just give us? And he goes, well, we got this unfinished song about Eleanor Roosevelt. Here's to you, Mrs. Roosevelt. America turns its lonely eyes to you. <laughs> All right, change it to Robinson. That's all they actually recorded for the movie. But that scene of, of um, Dustin Hoffman going through the airport to that song, mm -hmm. I think as one of its first off, it's a perfect mating of mood and character, but it had been in all our dorm rooms and on all our record players for almost a year and a half. So if you were of the age to like that movie, you carry in all that emotion when you watched it and oh, so and they, they put the record out before or oh yeah the, the record robinson? had been out for two yeah, years that was that was not new that was not new music at the time like so no, no, mrs people, robinson mrs robinson was... mrs robinson was new that's the oh, okay that's, had, okay sorry, all the rest of it was yeah all the rest of it that they had right. already done right right okay and that's everyone immediately felt something yeah. you know that's one of the things about uh needle drops um one of my producers used to say, I love a good needle chop. It's all this unearned emotion. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's but, true. You're trading, on, you're trading on people's memories and feelings about something that's already part of them. Yeah. So. But that's such a deadly trap uh, to, to when you're, when you're putting, putting stuff in. I, I, I genuinely believe you should put bad music into your temps because you fall in love. <laughs> you know, it's, it's how many people have fallen in love with you know give me shelter or let it be or something like that and then they have to replace it with a, well know. the only mick jagger says the only movie that marty scorsese ever did without give me shelter in mm -hmm. is the concert that he filmed them on that's right <laughs> <laughs> yep but there is a movie that has no dialogue and has nothing but needle drops and it's the first movie to do that and it's the first movie to use needle drops as commentary, as ironic statement. And that's Scorpio Rising. Oh. The Kenneth Anger movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's the one I wanted to sort of point out because it came out in, uh, let me see here, in 1963. And for those who don't know, it's a really important movie in queer culture. Um, it's about, Kenneth Anger has been making uh, what was called underground movies at the time, Pleasure uh, Beyond the Pleasure Dome, uh, Waterworks, Fireworks. And he made this movie about, I guess you would call it rough trade. All these biker guys getting ready to go to a party and putting on the motorcycle jackets and the Nazi insignias and all the 
accoutrements of that subculture, but playing on the soundtrack while they're snorting speed and putting on the chains is um, my boyfriend's back, <laughs> blue velvet. I see the party lights. I will follow him. He's a rebel. Heat wave. Hit the road, Jack. So even though there's no real story, as you watch each of these people get dressed, mm -hmm. and it, you keep sitting there waiting to see, well, what's going to be the next one? He went away, and you hung around, and bothered me every night. And when I wouldn't go out with you, you said things that weren't very nice. My boyfriend's back, and you're gonna be in trouble. Hey, la, hey, la, my boyfriend's back. coming, better cut out on the double. I didn't know about this movie till film school, uh, wherein Scorsese talked about it in a class. And he was like over the moon about it. And in a way, it influenced him on Mean Streets. You know, mm. the whole idea of the needle drop being something more. And yeah. um, when it opened in Hollywood uh, at a small sort of theater theater, you know, like a uh, not a real movie theater, it was 16 millimeter. They were picketed by the American Nazi Party who um, said and um, we may be Nazis, but we're not queer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they had signs and everything. And a kind of a scuffle broke out. So the movie got shut down and it got banned. But it's available out there. And uh, it's on uh, Kenneth Anger's sort of uh, collected works. So I highly recommend that. And the other big one, the one that changed how needle drops work, is American Graffiti. American Graffiti. <laughs> Grab that special one and jump into your candy-colored custom or your screaming machine, cruise downtown, and catch American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Baby, what's that? It's a movie. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time. Where were you in 62? You guys like that movie as much as I do? I remember seeing it um, when I was a critic at a, at a film bulletin. It was a trade magazine, and I went to a trade screening. And of course, there was no there was no buzz about it. It was uh, you know an unknown filmmaker made for peanuts for a studio that was just sort of letting them get away with it. Uh, and, um, and it was quite apparent to me, even in a screening room full of old cigar chomping exhibitors, uh, that this picture was going to be huge because it yeah. it it hit the heartstrings of everybody. That it was aiming at, and um, it, it's a, it was a, it's a seminal movie. I mean, it's it's the movie yeah. that put put Lucas on the map. There would be no Star Wars without American Graffiti. Oh yeah, and I think a lot of credit, not just now for the movie so much, but for why it works so well, goes to the combination of Lucas and Walter Murch, yeah. who came up with Lucas came up with the idea of the simultaneity of the music, the same song being everywhere, but it was Walter mm -hmm. Murch who said we should change the, the mix to mm -hmm. fit where they were. Fit where they are, yeah. And, yeah. and that was a big issue with Universal. They couldn't understand that. And they said, it's very, it takes me out of the movie. You've heard those oh, comments. Yeah. <laughs> it takes me out of the movie. How, it takes me out of the movie when they do that without adjusting for the, <laughs> yes. you know, it's, well, it's, it's it, yeah, it, came, I mean, it came to be known as worldizing. 
which is that you take the you take the music and you play it the way it would sound if it was coming out of whatever it is that's supposed to be on the screen, whether yeah. it's radio or car radio or or it's over the hill or it's you know and and that that was that was one of the ambiences of, of American graffiti that made it so real. Yeah, and it's um, it's one of those, there's two things that I think about American graffiti. Some George Lucas has made two movies that seemed like they were there all along because they're such a great idea. Mm -hmm. Star Wars, War in Outer Space. It just seems like people had made hundreds, but you know, it's just such a clear and American graffiti. And then this idea of having it scored with all these songs is changed the way we make movies from then on. Everyone puts them on speakers now. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the thing that got me, and I, I, I can't, I was stumbling over an answer to your question because I, I doubt I could love American graffiti as much as you do, but I am a huge fan of it. Um, but, and the older I get, the more it boggles my mind. I think there's just something about the way the culture has changed and the speed with which things change that, you know, I was a kid when that movie came out and the, the tagline was, wasn't it, where were you in 62? Yeah. And, you know, I'm yeah. going, I hadn't been born yet, you know, and, and. Um, yet, you know, and it, it felt like a movie that, I mean, it was, it was a nostalgia piece. It was a, a, a look into a different time and a different place. And, you know, now they'll be like making a movie today that's set in 2011. I don't know that if you didn't tell people it was 2011, that anybody would even notice. No, <laughs> that's know? a really good point, Josh. Such that's a really good point. Epic transformation to the culture. And it's not yeah. just because of Vietnam. I mean, there's so many, uh, so many things changed. Um, yeah, yeah the, I, I um, love that film. And it gave us happy yeah. days. And yes, well, <laughs> <laughs> for all that's worth. And Ron tells a, told me a story about sitting, you know, it took a long time to light a lot of those night exteriors. And Ron's sitting in one of the cars with George Lucas. And, you know, Ron's not sure what's going on. He's used to not someone like George Lucas, you know, after all. And he says, so George, what are you going to do next? And he says, I'm thinking about doing like a... Flash Gordon, like a war movie in outer space. And Ron tells me, just looked at him and goes, good idea, George. Yeah. <laughs> but here, here's another one that, that's a, a, a needle drop, okay? And uh, you guys can react, tell me if you like it as much as I do. Oh, lucky man. Yeah. A man's got to make whatever he wants and take it with his own hands. Poor people stay poor people and they never get to see. Someone's got to win in the human race. If it isn't you, then it has to be me. So smile while you're making it. I um I don't know why I'm I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of if but um oh, I go man. lucky man is one of those ones I have to go back to and give it another shot but yeah it's it's packed with great music yeah uh, it, it, oh, oh lucky man is not an easy movie to watch yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas if is really a, a statement and uh, it's yeah. really clear what's going on at it oh lucky yes. man is you have to pay attention to <laughs> to follow yeah. a lot of what's going on in that and even then <laughs> yeah and even then with all those surreal things and 
the music is played at the beginning in a recording studio where you see everyone then it becomes the track and then mm-hmm. the band who played it pick them up in the van it's just this it's very as the kids would say today meta you know mm-hmm. um but i love if and the two movies that most influence rock and roll high school would be if and shake rattle and rock and uh shake rattle and rock is a, a kind of not a very good um 50s movie where rock and roll goes on trial well it's the and, template for 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 footloose it's the template for all the movies about yeah. the, uh, the 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 the, the, the not those parents who don't understand their kids and hate the new music and want to keep them from having fun and they want to go to church and you know and do all these straight laced things that that, that they know that are antediluvian to the kids uh yeah. and but and 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 shake and rattle and rock is 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 one of a whole series of pictures that were made uh in the late 50s by studios like allied artists and american international which were aimed mainly at teenagers and for double bills and driving yeah and uh and and it i mean it, it, its hip factor is such that sterling holloway is one of the main leads in the picture <laughs> and i looked it up joe he's 51 years old <laughs> and margaret dumont yes bless her heart yeah, Margaret. Margaret du- I don't know this movie at all. Margaret Dumont is it a rock and roll yes, film. She's yeah. the head of all this, and she's seventy. She's the Miss, she's the Miss Togar. Yes, because it, exactly. it does. Because it, it, be. it does. It uh, rock and roll high school does owe a great deal to Shake yeah. Rattle. Yeah, we, we basically the took story the structure and the, of it, the structure and everything. And so they put rock and roll on child, Josh, and so they have these kids dancing to show it off, and then they say, "And here's the real danger." And then they put on a film of African natives dancing. Oh yeah, a tribal dance, and you just sit there with your jaw open, like it's of how appalling and oblivious that is. Yeah, well, but that was but that was at the heart of a lot of the objection to rock and roll was that they it, will dance with yeah. our women. Yes, and word yeah. music, you know, and and we don't want our kids exposed to that, and they're right. you know they're, they're dancing around like hot and tot. That kind of that kind of dialogue, yeah. And so when when we got a chance to make all those uh, AIP movies, you and I and everyone else that time, the remakes, I chose, yeah. So I chose Shake Rattle and Rock, and you know, I watching it, I didn't really find the danger in Fats Domino <laughs> <laughs> that was needed. <laughs> so I we pushed the racial angle. And that gave it you know, the energy it needed a story. And we made the the main character who plays rock and roll a, a girl. And so that made that different. That was, um, uh, shit. Yeah, uh, well, well, we got, dare say, I, dare I say it's a, slight, a somewhat better movie than the original. Yes. And, and I don't, I don't say that about all reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we lucked out with, uh, um, uh, Renee Zellweger walking in the door. Uh, that didn't hurt. And then I used all the women from Rock and Roll High School, been teenagers, to play mothers. So it's a prequel kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Wait, are those are those uh, remakes available? Well, they're owned by Disney now for some reason, uh, and uh, they're they're they were out on separate DVDs. Right. Yeah. Uh, the only one that was released oh, yeah. theatrically was Robert Rodriguez's um, one, which was they which they actually cut the negative of. It's called Road Racers, and there's no relation whatsoever to the movie that it's supposed to be a remake of. 
and that actually played a couple of theaters under the Miramax banner. Uh, but for the most part, the, the negatives were never cut on those pictures. So they only exist in, in tape versions. And so they'll never be Blu-rays on them because they're just... Right. They're, they're, they're Although, just, look, and a per perfect example to mention our lovely sponsor, I am at the MoviesUnlimited.com website, and I am looking at the DVD of Shake, Rattle, and Rock, starring Renee Zellweger. If rock and roll is bad, she doesn't want to be good. And John Doe of X and Howie Mandel. If they've got the, if they've got that picture, they probably got all the whole series. Oh wow! There, there were ten or twelve of them. Yeah, and and I watched yours, Joe. Um, and well, I watched it because I, I guess I was looking at the cover, and the cast is so amazing. It is. It's it's a, one of Paul Rudd's first pictures. Wait, and which one is that? It's called Runaway Daughters, and it's oh, yes. uh, it's it's actually shorter than the movie that it's in pre-book. Oh. <laughs> 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 but uh, the two the two main girls, uh, one is uh, she's now a rock and roll singer, and um, uh, yeah, the the, the, the girl Jenny from, Lewis, Jenny Lewis, yes, who is uh, Jenny I think Lewis. Gave up, I, I think gave up on, acting. I think she she just went into singing. Yeah, she was in she was in uh, Shannon's Deal. That's where I met her. Yeah, hmm. and she was like fourteen years old and wanted to be a singer, so I used to make her mixtapes. And then the woman in Family, uh, Modern Family, um, Modern Family, which uh, blonde, lovely girl, uh, yeah, name escapes me. But um, it was great. It was a great cast, and plus, oh, I, I did, I did what Alan did. I took all of my old, uh, all, my, all the people who yeah. were in my old movies and had them play parents. Fantastic. <laughs> and the deal was, Josh, you could do anything you wanted as long as it didn't cost more than one point four million. So. I mean, oh, wait, is that one did. even? Because I'm not finding that one anywhere. Runaway Daughter. Uh, I can lend you mine. Uh, well, as long as we're talking about this, yeah. So I'm going to be borrowing uh, Alan's copy of Shake, Rattle, and Rock, but uh, the rest of you can buy it along with many, many other great goodies uh, at moviesunlimited.com, our sponsor, the Movie Collector's website. They feature many of the movies we're talking about here on the show, so you can easily add them to your collection. So buy your favorites at moviesunlimited.com. You'll find classics, imports, hard-to-find films, and of course, new releases too. The prices are great and the choices are endless. Own the titles you love. Enjoy all the bonus features you just don't get elsewhere. If you go to moviesunlimited.com or click on their banner on the Trailers from Hell website. And if you go there right now, starting today, you can get Alan's movie, Get Crazy, on Blu-ray. It's amazing. The film's great and it's so packed. Um, Audio commentary with Alan, as well as Eli Roth, a 76-minute documentary about the making of the thing, music videos, trailers from hell commentary, uh, fan fiction, um, you name it. Uh, it's packed to the gills, and you can get it at Movies Unlimited. Just remember one other thing. Shipping is always free on orders over $50. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So I think the number one movie for use of needle drops in a way that no one has come close is Goodfellas. This it's the it's the needle drop movie. 
it's it's it yes, is it is it, it is, is everything he's been working towards in that in that regard comes to its fruition in that film yeah for sure and i actually in my class i teach this movie really for the sequence where they make the sauce and the helicopters no. are after them uh, yeah, there are absolutely. seven songs in that 10 minute sequence which is and one of the main all, reasons it feels so coked up is is that amazing oh my god and it just, jumps from one to the other it's the best coked up scene yeah. in the movie uh, yep. and, and not not of course that i would even know what that means but uh <laughs> it, it's it's uh it's it, it really brings it back well it, it does to you what it, it it it's one of those things that makes you it, it cokes you up <laughs> yeah you sure you, you got harry nielsen jumping yep. to the fire yep memo from turner which is from yeah. performance yep. great music movie um monkey man by the stones yep. i'm a man by muddy waters what is life by george harrison magic bus by the who and the drum solo from cream called toad mm -hmm. and they keep cutting between them it's mm -hmm. um it's only equal by some of the things that quentin has done where he's you know scored jump from one part of a song to another and he uses a lot of needle drums yeah he does you know and and Goodfellas, the use of Layla. Oh, you know, yeah. Yep. All those bodies. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just amazing. It's just amazing. So I was thinking, who else is a great director with music? And it's got to be Spike Lee. Mm -hmm. Spike Lee has built an incredible career of the synchronicity of the music in his movies, how it helps the storyline and the score of his movies. You know, and in school days, there's a music number or they a dance number, but do the right thing and Radio Rahim with that boombox and fight the power is just as good as it gets. I mean, this story is apparently, and it, it still boggles my mind. Um, and uh, uh, I've, I've tried several times. We're never going to give up. I'm going to get Chuck D on the show. I want to ask him about this. But apparently, Spike said, oh, I need the greatest rap anthem of all time. Um, can, can you get it to me in a week or two? <laughs> and Chuck D went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And it just energize it, it it says everything without any dialogue that you could possibly want and um also uh that movie is incredibly well shot you know well when you use music like this it's it's it it also becomes essentially mood music and uh you know another another director currently who who is very meticulous about the music is edgar wright uh, yes, you, uh, absolutely. If you, if you look at Baby Driver. I mean, it's it, everything was so meticulously mm -hmm. planned out to a pre-planned track that uh, yeah. it's almost schematic. Yeah, and and, yeah. and no. it, he does it to a degree in his new movie as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Todd Haynes is another person. You know, um, I'm not there. The Dylan movie. Mm-hmm. Is there that's like? Movie? Sorry, just to go back because because it's always you know one of the other amazing things about do the right thing is. I can't, you lose track of how many times you hear that song. I mean, it opens on that amazing scene with Rosie Perez dancing to it. Um, yeah. And uh, um, is there another movie that uses one song that repetitively to, to such effect? And you don't get tired of it either, which is amazing. No, um, there are plenty that reprise, you know, uh, High School Confidential does, but it's nowhere near. Yeah, I mean, probably like 30 times. You're right. It's thematic. And, and, um, you know, also Mo Better Blues Mm -hmm. is as good a movie about what it's like to be in a jazz group as anyone has ever made. And you really understand how jazz is made. And when the character steps back and you see a span of time of his life, it's beautifully staged to a love supreme by coltrane i mean who does that (laughs) you know who finds a piece of music that they love that much and is worthy you know of spending 10 minutes of screen time with and interpretive you know and uh jungle fever when the poked up brother is walking around and he's playing stevie wonders living for the city Mm -hmm. you know it's another thing there each time he does it it's great. And his videos are great, you know, which are shot by... Um, Do the right thing. It was Ernest Dickerson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, well, nice. for all you people, you know, listening, go to YouTube and um, look up the Public Enemy Fight the Power live concert mm. video. Yeah. It is. It just jumps off the screen and they shot it in the street live. And Ernest is not only the DP, he's the operator on. Uh, and also, uh, they got a chance and uh, to film Miles Davis uh, doing a tutu off of one of his later records. So, you know, there are plenty of videos also that were done by Spike. Uh, and he did a documentary, a short because he loves the album so much. Off the Wall, Michael Jackson. It's an homage to that. He's worked with Prince and uh, David Burns' Utopia. You know, mm-hmm. another one. But he always works with Terrence Blanchard, and there's a chemistry there between the two of them. And the documentary about the um, New Orleans floods and so forth uh, is a kind of a brilliant thing. And uh, the one that I really, really love, well, because I really, really love Black Klansmen. You know, I, the idea of doing a movie with such a message and disguising it as a 1970s cop movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, don't you feel it's like a genre picture, Joe? Oh yeah, totally. And uh, and the ending is devastating. Yeah, yeah. But in the middle of that movie, he goes to a uh, the Panthers. He goes to some club, mm-hmm. and they start dancing to. Um, uh, it's too late to turn back now. Since I met this little woman, I feel it's happened to me, and I'm telling you. It's too late to turn back now. I believe, I believe, I believe I'm falling in love. It's too late to turn back now. I believe, I believe, I believe I'm falling in love. I found myself on. 
morning her at least 10 times a day. And it's like this privileged three minutes where everything is forgotten because there's this great piece of Philadelphia soul music playing. And they're all in a line doing this dance and they become so humanized, you know, and so relating to each other. And I think that's one of the things what people like about the tiny dancer sequence from Almost Famous, that the story doesn't stop. You know, the, the personal relationships continue. And uh, that's a really hard thing to achieve. And I think that there's, that's what I like about Todd Haynes with, uh, you know, his stuff. I saw the Velvet Underground one that he produced. Mm, yeah. Really, really. Isn't that terrific? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, and uh, what's funny about that is um, I usually, you know, if I'll see a movie like that, um, you know, I'll spend the next couple of days just listening to like, you know, my entire say, Velvet Underground collection playing while I write because I write to music. Yeah. Crazy thing about the Velvet Underground thing is as, as great as it is, as good as they are, uh, I spend the next 48 hours listening to Jonathan Richmond. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> Who is the best thing in that movie? <laughs> yes, he is. Jonathan Richmond, it will stand. Yeah. Uh, and to plug another, another webcast, I'm wearing this t-shirt for No Dogs in Space. And that's a, a podcast that's the history of rock. What? what and what? they... Joe, pull his mic. Yeah. Shut his mic down. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> and uh, they're a couple, and she's a stand-up, and he and they do incredible research, and they just did a five, seven-hour history of the Velvet Underground. Oh wow! And they only do punk bands, and mm. so I met them because they did the Ramones, and they reached out to me for some information, and they are on the Get Crazy Extras. Oh, exactly. Everyone. Hey, I know you. Come on in here. Um, and they do such great histories that I asked them, I said, can you pretend that these are real bands? Oh, and wow. do the podcast as if they're real. Like if Piggy, what are the roots of Piggy? What are the roots of Nada? You know, tell me the life history of Reggie Wanker. <laughs> so they do like a 15 minute and we That's act fantastic. like they're completely real, That's you know, and they give us the backstory of it. So that was fun. I love it. I love it. Okay. Now, Josh, I know what a huge rock fan you are and uh, Joe, you as well, but Josh, when you really want to get out of your head, mm -hmm. what do you put on? Oh, it, it, it varies so much. Um, but I mean, it's, uh, uh, and I usually have to wait till Nancy's out of the house. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, but, uh, but, uh, it, it, it will crank. I mean, obviously a lot of Springsteen. I still, I still go back to the clash all the time. Um, oh yeah. London know. calling will do it. Yeah. But, but, and boy, how sad is it? I, I finally given up every few years. I would, uh, go check out rude boy again and hope that maybe this time that movie would be good. And, no, and it's yeah. just not. And it's the only movie that the Clash are in playing themselves. And, and uh, oh, oh, <laughs> how so, sad that there's not so, a great one. So my next but, genre, my next yes. category is the purpose of rock, which is transcendence. Mm -hmm. When you used to go to a concert and everyone wasn't holding a fucking iPhone in your face, right. you would just be focused on the stage. You would have a good buzz on, 
and you were going to say this band tonight is going to be the greatest band in the world and they are going to take me somewhere and luckily there are um pieces of music and there are bands that do that and they're on film for instance monterey pop you've got three bands that are transcendent in monterey pop you've got janice joplin and big brother and the holding company Mm -hmm. that was the the concert that put i mean they cut to the audience and all these musicians are going oh wow you know the who who decimate everything in their path and destroy the stage and because he had to follow the who jimmy hendrix and it is the first american concert of jimmy hendrix in the experience and what's interesting about it is he plays like a rolling stone which you can get on the dvd extras and he does it really well but he's chewing gum mm-hmm. the whole time and i'm thinking what kind of deportment is that mr hendrix you know <laughs> you are that confident that you can do that sing play you guitar know? and chew gum yes chew gum at the same time and he's clearly high on acid because he says so and he keeps <laughs> he keeps mentioning the woman in the front row with a yellow hat and then it's a blue hat but um so is that you know, bob dylan's grandmother isn't that that he keeps calling that's her? it yes. exactly i love that yes yes as i said before it's really groovy about to bore you for about six or seven minutes to do a little thing uh, yeah. Excuse me for a minute, just let me play my guitar, right? Right now with the little thing uh, by Bob Dylan. That's his grandma over there. This little thing called like a rolling stone. So, you know, I mentioned uh, earlier uh, Jagger Hoover. And, you know, as much as we make fun of him, he was actually correct. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much, he's on drugs. Yep. He plays so loud and he fucks his amplifier on stage, takes his guitar, lays it down, and like a religious sacrament, sets it on fire. Yeah a wild thing and you know yeah well he's giving something like the eyes and how there's a reason he was president they saw this That was you also, but you left out one of the acts there. And I remember as a kid, which one? Okay. Uh, this is a terrible thing, but I think the statute of limitations is up when I was about 15. I used to babysit for a couple. Um, and uh, uh, they had this record and I would listen to it all the time when they were out and they, they just, they were, I, I can't come up with a better word. They were so square. And I finally decided that um, it was clear. They never listened to this record. Like this is a terrible, shameful thing about it. And I stole it. Uh, and it was it was uh, oh. an LP from Monterey Pop, and on one side was Hendrix, and the other was Otis Redding, mm-hmm. who also slaughtered. Yes, in that Otis show. Redding live at the uh, at the at Monterey. I have that no, at Monterey. Monterey. At Monterey. 
Yeah. And uh, oh, Monterey, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and it's an amazing record. And I remember finally oh, getting to see this. You're right. Of I forgot it. Otis. Yeah, and um, Otis's performance of uh, "Try a Little Tenderness." Oh you know. my God! Yeah, it's just incredible. But yes, that was that was a crime. He I makes, he makes time stop. So easy. All you got to do is try. It's a great thing. So um, to tie it in to get crazy, transcendence. I wanted a character in Get Crazy that would be rock and roll at its ultimately most dangerous. That kind of thing where you're in a car and the driver is driving way too fast, but it's too much fun to make him stop. But you don't know if you'll make it all the way down to the bottom of the hill. And then he turns off the lights. Oh! Now, the reason I say this, I had a friend who used to do this. Jeez. And the, the, the artist I'm talking about, who's consistently on the edge of, the, of, of his Mr. Gimme Danger himself, Iggy Pop. Mm. You know, Iggy, um, I want to recommend a movie. It's not really a movie. It's a TV show that you can get somewhere. It's called The Midsummer Rock Festival. And it's out of Cincinnati, and Iggy is in it. And it's also got Alice Cooper, Mountain, Grand Funk Railroad, Mata Hoople, 10 Years After, and Iggy and the Stooges. And Joe, the host of this is that great rock and roll host, Jack Lesculi. Now, <laughs> no idea who that is. Nobody probably remembers who Jack Lesculi was, but he was, the, no. <laughs> he was the co-host or the second banana on the Today Show in the morning when Dave Garraway started it. And Jack Lascouli was the, um, he looked a little like Van Johnson, <laughs> and he was a, a straight arrow kind of a collegiate guy, and he was an announcer, you know? And he was, he was as unhip as you could possibly imagine a person to be, which I guess made him a safe choice for the MC. Well, they, they wanted to put this on nationally, a concert. So they get him, and they realize they need someone young, right, with him. So his hip partner is a, looks a little bit like Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate is wearing a blue blazer, okay? And, you know, it's kind of going okay and everyone's good until Iggy takes the stage. And within about 30 seconds of being on the stage, he's ripped off his shirt and then he dives into the crowd. And Jack Lesculli says something like, it looks like... Um, uh, Mr. Iggy Stooge has uh, dove into the crowd. I does not look like he'll be coming back. 
Um, let's go to a commercial. <laughs> and then they go to a commercial. It's all there in this video. And they come back and he goes, well, we can see him out there. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's interested in getting back on the stage. Meanwhile, the Stooges are just wailing that kind of music that sounds like they're, they're beating up an old car, you know? <laughs> and just at that point, Iggy is hoisted in the air. And this is the transcendent moment. He's standing on these kids' hands and singing TVI at full volume. And he grabs out of the hands of one of the girls a big jar of peanut butter. <laughs> he opens it up and smears it all over his body. That's peanut butter. That's one of my favorite things. And if you watch um, Jim Jarmusch's movie called Gimme mm -hmm. Danger about Iggy, he has a pretty good print of this seminal moment of Iggy pop <laughs> and, and rock music, you know, transcendent. Um, I love that. And another one I love is uh, in the Woodstock movie, Joe Cocker. That's the, he does a little help for my friends and that's the, the one that John Belushi always does the imitation right. of. Right. Because you can't understand a word he's saying. They did it together too, which was amazing. Was yes. such a great moment when <laughs> dueling covers. There's a couple of wide shots. You're right, and and then there's these two cameras trying to get him on film. Mm -hmm. And um, what's it's interesting from a couple from a technical point of view, they are shot exactly at the same time, and the the colors are different because at that point they had realized that they had to film everything. So they had sent a PA to buy all the color film available from Kodak in 16 millimeter. And so they stopped caring about matching stock numbers and whatever. So they two different stocks and there's this big close up of Joe Cocker speaking in tongues, you know? Yes. And then the part comes when he does the big scream and little help my friends. And as he screams, he disappears from the frame completely. And you hear him scream. And I'm sure the operator's going, oh, please come back. Because <laughs> I can't find you. Because they're on a long lens. And he pops back in. I just love that moment. You know, Isn't there, well, there, there were all sorts of rumors about him at the time, right? That that, that he was, I don't know, that he had some like serious mental issues. Or one was that he was spastic. I don't know if that's the time. But they're all, it was just like, no, he's just. That's his act. Well, that's his act, man. That's his thing. He's into the music. Not to, you know me, not to spread rumors yes you know, but back out of go. school yes playing the film maurice and essentially 
Joe would be propped up and let out on the stage, you know, mm-hmm. and it, they were great conscience and he was great. And uh, at this one point, he would always sing Bird on a Wire, by, you know, Leonard Cohen, terrific song. And, you know, he's singing it and he's done. And then the audience applause. And then Joe says, I'd like to sing Leonard Cohen's Bird on a Wire. Mm-hmm. And he starts again. Uh-oh. And Leon Russell is like, Joe. Joe, we just sang it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, Mad Dogs and Englishmen? The movie? I'm kidding. That was that was me. That was why I was just doing my tribute to Joe Cocker. Oh yes, I love that. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's it's not as good as 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 many of rock documentaries. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's it's it's. Fun. But the, yeah, and uh, it was a nightmare working with them. There was so many people in the band. Oh really? And, uh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of them. In fact, that's who Captain Cloud is based on in Get Crazy. Oh, wow. Good segue. The, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of bringing in all these people on their concert. And they came in with the whole band and, and the space choir, which was 10 more people, and a film crew, and dogs and babies. Mm. And the first night, they brought the babies up on the stage, and one of the backup space choir women dropped her baby and that caused in between shows michael the uh, stage manager passed the rule no dropping of babies no babies <laughs> on stage and we had to get one of the bands out of their dressing room and make it into a nursery for that you know but uh i loved uh there was that was great there's another um jim jarmish who mm-hmm. has done a lot of great things with music and not just the uh Iggy Pop one. He did uh, one about Neil Young called The Year of the Horse. Yeah. You know, and it does this fascinating thing where one of Neil's insane transcendent songs is Like a Hurricane, where his guitar playing does indeed sound like a hurricane. And Jim Jarmus cuts together the performance that he filmed and a performance from 15 years earlier oh. in the same thing. And it's flawless. Uh, and I don't know how they keep time in both of them, but it goes back and forth. is like you know one of the one of the great let's go crazy and and if yeah. you can find a copy out there of weld uh that's one of his great live performance uh things that uh, he did that's right no you know you just reminded me of it's not but there's a uh a guest on our show uh little steven uh put out a concert uh-huh. video uh, earlier in the year from his last tour but uh, there were a couple of extras on it and one is um, you know, he would do Sun City uh, in every town he was in. And a lot of times he'd have somebody show up and, and sing with him. And they had all these fascinating different people doing it. And, you know, the original song is a ton of different artists. They managed to cut together 
um, video and audio of uh, one performance of Sun City cut together with all these guests from all these different shows, sort of all singing oh, nice. on top of each other. It's a pretty impressive achievement. Yeah. Yeah. So a connection between me seeing and being a huge fan of Iggy and uh, the character of Piggy in Get Crazy, which is played by Lee Ving of the group Fear, Fear yeah. who are, you know, uh, famous for such songs as Beef, 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 Baloney. Right. Um, I uh, wanted to recreate something that was like the best big punk concert. And so we hired a first AD, recommended by John Landis, by the way, and uh, called Cliff Coleman. And this is before the internet. All we knew was that Cliff had been John's AD on Animal House. And that was a high recommendation for what we were looking for. And Cliff comes in and this guy looks like he's made out of old leather. You know, he's tough. And he came riding up in a gigantic Triumph motorcycle. We find out from talking, he's a motorcycle racer. And so Cliff, what else have you uh, been the first AD on? And he goes, well, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, the Wild Bunch. Oh. <laughs> and I look over at, at Hunt Lowry, and it's like, you're hired. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you can control the Wild Bunch and Animal House. And as it turns out, his father was CeCe Coleman, who was John Ford's first AD for years. And Cliff's first AD job was on Two Road Together. He was the second on Two hmm. Road Together. Cliff was awesome. So Cliff and Hunt Lowry and Tommy Del Ruth, the DP and I go to an Iggy concert. Uh, so I can show them what the crowd looks like, what we're aiming for, what the intensity is. And it's at that place on sunset, the Palladium. Mm -hmm. And naturally, you know, five songs in, Iggy's got his shirt off and he dives into the crowd, you know, and they're carrying what's just like I hoped. And they're swarming, you know, and I'm going, Cliff, this is it. This is what we need to do. And at a certain point, Iggy breaks loose and runs the back of the theater and up to the balcony and gets up on the balcony ledge. And the audience is going, oh, Lord, go, go. And he dives off. And they catch him. Mm. And the place goes crazy. And I turn to Cliff and I go, can we do that? And he looks at me and goes, Oh, we're doing that. <laughs> and that's how that got in the movie. The diving, the Scott, the slam dance diving, stage diving contest with the people. We, of course, I always carry things too far. So that's why they're carrying up numbers like it's an Olympic diving thing. But uh, it was done at three stages. And uh, if you look at the film, you can see me dive off the balcony. Oh, wow. Into the audience. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, commitment. Well, yeah. that's because no one, no one would do it till I did it. <laughs> so we had stunt people. It was really just, it's done in three stages. You jump off onto a platform, and then you fall backwards onto the people catching you, and so forth. But uh, I leaving always worry. Quite, quite I important. always worry when I see uh, rock stars do stuff like that that I'm going to be there the night it goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the night no one. So, uh, you guys want to talk about biopics? Sure. We. Uh... Joe, you got a favorite music biopic? One that you like? Well, it wouldn't be Night and Day. <laughs> <laughs> and it wouldn't be the one about Franz Liszt. No. Uh, Listomania. Uh, well, Listomania is, uh, unfortunately, 
is a movie I really can't stand. And I was, oh. a, I was a big fan of Tommy. I thought he did a great job with Tommy. I think we saw like it a, together. Like a reinterpretation of what I remember. From yeah. Him. And it was brilliant. And then he went back to the well a second time and he did Listomania, which is sort of like outtakes from Tommy plus a bunch of other stuff that they could have weird props they couldn't figure a way to use in the other movie and i just thought boy this is this should have been such a good idea and it's so yeah. bad uh it, it maybe he's the worst picture that i've seen although i haven't seen fall of the louse of usher which i understand is not so hot um uh -huh. but as far as uh i I, I haven't I haven't considered this, so I don't quite know. Okay. Well, Ray is. is a pretty good one. The one about Ray Charles is pretty good, pretty straightforward, you know, uh, but very well done and shows a love of the music, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I like about the better ones is they show you where the music comes from. Mm -hmm. They show you where in the person the music comes from, which is why I hate the Queen one so much. Yeah. Yeah, it does not. There's no, you know, they just show you all of a sudden they're singing Bohemian Rhapsody and everyone's going, oh, this is weird. And but you don't really get a sense of how he got those ideas. Well, the, the, the problem with these biopics in general is that they're interesting when they're on the way up. And then once they yeah. hit the top, then the whole rest of it is all depressing. It's about they're on the way down. They get drugs. They lose their jobs. They lose their girls. They, you know, and it's and, and maybe at the end, there might be a little piece of redemption when they play a song that you really like. But it's a formula that I don't find very satisfying. Yeah, and the Doors movie is a classic example of what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, the first half of the Doors movie is so beautifully psychedelic. And, you know, to see them be outside the whiskey or, or you know, speaking of night and day, the scene like, oh, I've got an idea for a song. And you know, he starts playing night and day. When the Doors get the idea for a song, uh, and they read the words to light my fire. Oh, I've got a melody for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, exactly. But the cool part is, is when they cut to the whiskey and they're playing it. So the recreation of the concerts is pretty good. That sounds um, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of the uh uh although I've I've heard it suggested this is not a real person, I, I will not tolerate that here. Uh the Dewey Cox movie, uh Walk Hard, um, <laughs> is uh yeah. one of my favorite music biopics. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the two I'm, I was going to mention to you guys that I love is Sid and Nancy. Hi! <laughs> Sid! Sid, we've got company! I love the sex Regrets. Are you going to make an honest woman out of our Nancy, Sid? <laughs> Sydney's more than a mere bass player. He's a fabulous disaster. He has a sex pistol. All your human needs are seen to. Because it is uh, kind of bleak. He's a terrible musician. He yeah. can't play at all. You know? And they are on the train to nowhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you see the start of this punk scene. 
And one of the things that I came out of that movie is the woman who plays Nancy Spungen mm-hmm. is so good in that movie. She almost never worked again. Uh, she showed up. Everyone, um, yeah, she yeah. shows up. Yeah. But you'd think that someone with that skill, everyone thought she was like that, you know? Uh, oh, that's a problem. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the Chloe, way that Chloe she Webb. says Sid. Yeah. Yeah. When she's. She found a way to say the one vowels to Sid to make it the eight vowels, you know. And when she calls her, they call up her parents to tell them they're getting married, so they'll send $150 so they can score heroin. Mm-hmm. And they're in a phone booth in England, and they're going, Oh, I didn't know it was three in the morning there, you know. And <laughs> the whole yeah, movie is, is wonderful. And you, you really get a sense of this desperation, you know. It's like the anti-bio bio. Yeah. Yeah. What's the other one? Yeah. What's the other one? Yes. <laughs> the other one is um, Love and Mercy. Mm, oh, yes. Which is pretty good. So good. Yeah, isn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, the Beach Boys. If everybody had a nose across the USA. Round, round, get around. I get around. Yeah, get around, round, round. I get around. I'm going to make the greatest album ever made. Got all kinds of new ideas, new sounds, new instruments. I may not always love you. You can't just do whatever you want, Brian. I got different stuff inside me. I gotta get it out. And you should know Brian has a very sick man. Daddy, if you should ever leave me, will life still go on? Believe me. Sing what's in your soul. So what good would living do me? You need to find a way to get back to yourself. So good. I am I am not the giant Beach Boys fan. I know that's a, a punishable offense in the state of California, but that gave me such a profound appreciation for what he had to deal with. The, uh, you know, the notion that the Beatles found each other and found this cocoon of, of creativity where their visions were protected and encouraged. And he had the exact opposite. He had this awful family, this terrible father. Everybody tried to get him to just keep doing the same pop hits yeah. over and over. And that he managed to not only continue to do great stuff, but he managed to be the only artist who threatened the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, and that really came through in that film. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's a really full and deep character. Mm-hmm. And um, and the fact that it's two halves played by two different people, and mm-hmm. uh, that is in itself a gigantic narrative trick. Yeah, it doesn't. It usually doesn't work to do that, and in this yeah. case, it, it it's it's it works perfectly. Yeah, yeah, and you know, for unlike you know, I know you don't. You're not a big Beach Boys fan, but if you're a fan of the Beach Boys and of um, the studio musicians of the time that group uh, of mm-hmm. great musicians it is such a deep dive into how that music was made mm-hmm. that um there's a s- sequence in the studio where he is laying out a song and the bass player uh the woman bass player whose name i can't remember is one of the great women great bass players she's got oh she's yeah what's her name uh mission impossible uh, Yes. You see the, yeah, yes. this is the Mission Impossible theme. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
And she's looking at the chart and she says, O'Brien, oh, there's a mistake here. And he goes, what? She says, well, you go to A flat here, you know, and that's a key switch, but everyone else is in the other key. You mean, I don't know what, C flat, you know. And he looks and goes, no, that's not a mistake. She goes, so you want me to play A flat? And she just knows him well enough, goes, okay. And so then they start playing and you go, oh, that's the intro to California Girls. And sure enough, you, you're not a musician, but when you hear her play that A flat, you go, geez, that's why I remember that note, you know? <laughs> the Wrecking Crew. It dissects how the Wrecking Crew and him, the Wrecking Crew just read his mind and he used them mm-hmm. like Duke Ellington used his orchestra, you know? He knew what they played well and he assigned them each uh, a role in it, you know? So uh, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great. And it's, like I said, it just really gave me an appreciation for him that I never had. And uh, I sort of came out more of a fan than I had been. Um, an obscurity, okay? <laughs> because we have been so mainstream in this. <laughs> okay, I am a big Jimi Hendrix fan. Love Jimi Hendrix. So I'm played many times. Oh, about a dozen. Okay, wow. so... He, um, the band of gypsies, which was the band he formed, you know, um, to fulfill a contract was only together for one set of concerts at the Fillmore East. And they rehearsed every afternoon and we take down their equipment. And then on New Year's Eve, they played and the night after they did four sets and they recorded that album, uh, which was a terrific album, major record. So flash forward 20, 25 years. I'm in a record store in uh, West Village, a place that specializes in bootlegs. And I'm going through, you know, buying stuff. And I hear Hendrix playing on the stereo speaker. And I go, oh, this is the band The Gypsies at the Fillmore. And I go to pay for the records. And there, right above the cash register, is a TV with a film of that concert. And I turn to the guy and I say, is this Jimi Hendrix at the Fillmore East, New Year's Eve, 1970? And he looks at me like, what the? And he goes, why, what's it to you? And I said, I was there. How can I buy that? So I bought it. And it's this bootleg of this concert. And it's one camera from the front row of the balcony, an early video. It never moves. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's kind of like a Hendrix concert directed by Ozu. You know, <laughs> but there's zooms in it. So Ozu was like feeling his oats that night. And about 10 years later, it comes out on VHS. And uh, the problem with that version is that people talk over it mm-hmm. and they talk about what a great solo machine gun is, you know, and I don't need you to explain that to me, but then they put it out on DVD and the extra is the entire concert with no talking. So if you are a guitar fan or a Hendrix fan, there are no cutaways. There are no interruptions. There's a couple of angles and a couple of different songs that were done, but the basic best songs are done from one angle, you know. And what's the title of the DVD if some so should someone try to find it? It's available on uh, on yours. Wait, what's what's it, it called? What's it called? Uh, Hendrix Band of Gypsies. Oh, that's okay. And I'm um, Hendrix. Band of Gypsies. 
Hey, here it is, Joe. Bay the Gypsies live in Fillmore East. Yeah, there you oh, go. Wow. See, yes. we knew that'd come through for us uh, at Movies Unlimited on DVD. So, but you're saying so it's, it's literally the, just yes. that one dude, or we assume with a camera. It's a. It has the documentary and everything with it, and every, all these great guitar players talking about really good dissection of what makes Jimmy mm -hmm. great. But go to the uh, menu, and it has the whole concert. Wow. From that one, Aaron, and I found out who shot it, which is Amelie Rothschild who is a great Fillmore photographer. And here's the tie-in, folks. She yep. gave us her photos for free for the Get Crazy Blu-ray. Oh, wow. It's funny how it always comes back. Always comes back. <laughs> you, you can't leave me alone for a week <laughs> without me connecting the dots and everything, you know? Um, I could keep going because... Uh, <laughs> No, we have to let them. We have to let them go out and buy the disc. That's right, and you yeah. can you can get get crazy uh, like many of the films okay. we talked here at Movies Unlimited. It's uh, it's available there. Can I give you? Uh, I'll give a plug for two things they should get at Movies Unlimited. Okay. okay. You've heard of the Rolling Stones, right? Um, I'm we all familiar love with the, the Rolling Stones. Yes. Yes, they have probably put out more, more albums, more. I'm sorry, more movies. Than any rock band. They I read recently they're the most filmed rock band. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you can't get Cocksucker Blues by Robert Frank, which I have and I do not recommend. But it's not good. What I no, it's recommend. one of those legendary. Yeah, you think you're going to get all this scandalous backstage Everybody stuff at the Fox stone. Venice lined up, and they were so excited to see I it. I remember, and yeah. And, it was oh, so, and they were so snoozy by the time oh, it was over. It's just not. Yes. But I highly recommend that all your fans and go out there from, you know, Movies Unlimited and get totally stripped. Oh, yeah, sure. What, yes. But, yeah, what totally stripped is they were on their tour, they were talked into going back to their roots yep. and doing some of the old songs by Don was their producer. So they mm -hmm. filmed two or three concerts at big venues. They filmed their most intimate acoustic songs in a studio in Tokyo. But then they went back to the uh, Club Paradiso in Amsterdam, which is a tiny place, which is the first place you could smoke hash in Amsterdam. And they did a concert there. And that night in that concert room, they are the greatest bar band who ever existed. And they achieve liftoff from about the third song, and they never come back. And the same thing goes for Shine a Light, the Scorsese mm. one. Yeah. They start out as competent as a band has been together since the dark ages can be. And on the fourth song, which is called She Was Hot, 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 as they go from verse to chorus, Keith and Mick look at each other like, and they go, we're locked. And from then on, they reach for another level. You know? I, um... I want to... My my dear dear friend and um, uh, actually partner in the um, 
my, my first well podcast studio uh, that that uh, uh, I, I have um, Steve Bing um, who died last year. Uh, he produced that film, and there is a moment in it where I see it in IMAX, and uh, uh, I have no idea if he made money on it or not. Nobody makes money off movies anymore, anyway. But I do know there's one shot in that film. Uh, it's a long shot. He's you can see because he's the tallest person there, about five ah. rows from the front, the tallest guy there, and just for one moment, the camera is on the happiest guy in the universe. He's just having a blast mm-hmm. watching the Stones play, and I I love that film. Yeah. Well, that's all. That's what it does for you. The fact that they're in their sixties, and as we all know about Scorsese, he certainly knows where to put the camera. Oh yeah. And the editing and the camera angles show you how each song is constructed. If you're a mm-hmm. real fan, yeah. And yeah. the the camera operating is phenomenal. The focus. I mean, these are all technical things, but you're never taken out of the movie because it's all so perfectly done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, one of my favorites. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, well, Alan, thank you. Alan, yeah, no, this has been a oh, wonderful. No, thank you, guys. We're a little, we're, 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 uh, what's good is that we're, we're a little off our usual subject, which I think is great uh, because we're still on our usual subject. We're almost, yes. But we're, yes. we're also off it in a, in a good way. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Well, and, uh, I, I know. Yeah, I wanted to bring movies and stuff, and and you know, like I was saying, when you're you go to Joe's house and he's runs little cartoons and clips for you, that's kind of like a night here. You know, I'll run a song from this and a song from that album mm-hmm. and so forth. You know? We're all programmers now. That's right. So yes, we are. Our own, and it's our own little revival houses. <laughs> it's all mixtapes. You know, exactly. it's all mixtapes. And we didn't even touch the Who or the Led Zeppelin, so there's well, more to come. to come. Well, you got, you yeah. got, yeah, yeah. Put out another movie, or uh, well, when when uh, when Get Crazy gets remastered for um, uh, what 4K <laughs> or something, oh, or when yeah, you get, or exactly. when you get, when you get so. that that work print of Heart Thieves out of here, that's <laughs> true. You know, and we finally convince him to release it instead of the cut version. Oh <laughs> wait, 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 what? What is this? Is this? Is, I did not. Yeah, know. there was an uncut. Yeah, no, he has, he has the preview version. Which is doesn't have complete special effects in it. I probably doesn't have the same music either. But uh, it's no. the original version of the movie, which was then cut down to like seventy-seven minutes or something like that. But it's it's much better movie. In oh, its yeah, let's get that out there. But then I'll come back I, uh, and talk about robots or something instead of uh, rock and roll. Doing the uh, for Andy. Doing the, the That's right. Commentary of it. Doing the commentary of it was a real lesson in life, you know, because uh, the movie doesn't work, but the. Um, the idea of going back and looking at it and I had just talked myself into watching it again because I hadn't seen it. And then looking at it and I kind of became myself at the AFI analyzing someone else's film mm. and talking about the things that are wrong or right about it. You know, so that was interesting. Uh, yeah, it would have been more interesting if it was the whole movie. That's my view. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the movie's out on Blu-ray now, and then there's going to be some screenings too, right, Alan? Yeah, there'll be a screening at the Los Feliz 3, uh, and I'll be there with Laurie Eastside and Lee Ving, and that'll be December 12th. Fantastic. And then we're putting together a big screening at the New Beverly, which will be a double bill of Rock and Roll High School and Get Crazy, oh. and as many of the cast and crew as we can get there with a Q&A in between, and that'll be on January 2nd. Wonderful. Now, one thing, if you buy the Blu-ray, 
and you want to sync up the movie with the time frame you are living in, okay, you start the movie at 1038. Oh, oh. And it'll be midnight in the movie <laughs> and midnight in your time and space continuum. 1038. You, you just yeah. don't get this kind of stuff on other podcasts. That's right. That's no, you right. don't. This is the good you dirt. And good dirt. <laughs> This is the stuff that people send me emails about. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Thank Alan. you so much. Well, thank you, guys. It's, it's thank you pleasure. for letting Bye. me share your, your time-space continuum. <laughs> <laughs> and us yours, my friend. And before we go, this is that thing I promised you. This is an introduction that Alan recorded for me to show at my weekly movie night a while back. I just asked him to shoot like a one-minute video, um, you know, welcoming folks to the film and maybe telling a lie or two about it just for fun. And he sent me back this epic, fully produced thing, uh, which I'm going to play the audio for you right now, because this is uh, truly great. This is the alternate history of how Rock and Roll High School, uh, a movie he co-directed, as I'm sure you know, with uh, my co-host, Joe Dante. Anyway, this is the alternate history of how Rock and Roll High School came to be. And I'm Alan Arkish, and I directed Rock and Roll High School. And I'm Alan Arkish, and I directed Rock and Roll High School. And Josh Olson wants me to do yet another intro to Rock and Roll High School. You know how many of these I've done? I've done like 20 of them, so not above using a little stock footage. I mean, how many helicopter explosions have I done? I'm going to let you guys watch this. Back in 1978. But then I started thinking... What can I tell you guys that you don't already know? I mean, you're going to be sitting there watching the movie on your little computer screens and mono. And I thought, I've got to come up with something new, something I remembered that happened. And then I thought, well, I'll tell you guys the true story. The true story of how the first draft of Rock and Roll High School got written. See, Roger said to me and Joe, you know, Alan, you can make your high school movie, but uh, you got to come up with like an outline or something so that we don't have to pay a writer for the first draft. So Joe and I go over to Cathay de Grand and we sit down at the bar and we're having a couple of grasshoppers. And there's this raucous, the Cathay de Grand is right near uh, the editing room, Jack Raven's editing room. And it's also was near the Gower Gulch and Paramount. So it's always full of, you know, Hollywood types in this drunk guy comes up to the bar and he's more than drunk. I mean, he's fucked up and we're staring at him like, who is that? Nice land, huh? Isn't that beautiful? I'm up here in Oregon. You know, Roger Corman uses that thing where he says that he's cheap. He's not cheap. It's all an act. It's part of his, you know, thing that's legend. Because I'll tell you, I finished rock and roll high school in the spring of 79. By Christmas, I was getting a check every single month. 41 years of checks from Roger Corman. How about that, you know? How do you think I bought this land? I mean, I get, I get money on Hollywood Boulevard, and I got paid only $85 for making it. So anyway, Joe and I are at the bar, and we're talking to this guy, and Joe says, you know, I may be crazy, but uh, that's Patty Chayefsky. Really? And I said, are you Patty Chayefsky? 
And he goes, am I? And then he's so fucked up. He starts doing the speech, you know, where open up the windows, you know, the one from network and shout, I'm not going to take it no more. And he keeps gesturing to someone who's not there. Like uh, Jimmy Stewart talking to Harvey, you know, the rabbit. And uh, we say, uh, he says, we say, Mr. Chayefsky, you're going to meanwhile, we're checking to see the tape recorders rolling. And I says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I'm working on my new book. It's called Altered States. It's about what happens to you when you're under influence of drugs. And so I, I decided before I read the, the draft again that uh, I would alter my state. And me and my friend, the shaman, uh, there's nobody there, have taken a fistful of peyote. And he says, what are you doing? I says, well, we're here throwing around ideas. Uh, point to the tape machine uh, for a high school movie. He goes, high school movie? I always wanted to direct, I always wanted to write a high school movie. I go, really? The guy who did Hospital wants to do a high school movie. What would you do if you could do anything, Mr. Chayefsky? And he says, I, I do it with new gymnastics. I have an all-girls new gymnastics team in the gym. Imagine them tumbling and doing splits in the air all naked and in slow motion. Now, I look at Joe, give Joe the side eye, like, it's a pretty good idea. Uh, what happens next? And he says, well, they, they want to enter the, the championship and, and the other schools object. And they said, you can't do nude gymnastics. And they say it's free expression. And uh, they go out on strike. And who shows up at the high school but their favorite disco group, Casey and the Sunshine Boys? So he says, then uh, they won't let any of the parents in the school. And as Casey and the Sunshine Boy play Get Down Tonight, they blow up the high school. Well, that's not a bad idea. I says, well, can we get your number? So we get his number and his agent's number. says, we'll talk to you. And uh, nice meeting your shaman over here. So... We immediately typed this up, and the next day we bring it up to Roger, and we read it to him aloud, and he goes, that's pretty good. You guys wrote this? He says, no, that's the beautiful part, Roger. Patty Chayefsky wrote it, and we're going to put his name on the poster and make a fortune. And he goes, that's a great idea. I mean, network is ahead, and blah, 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 and Americanization of Emily, and so get permission from his agent. So we go in Francis Dole's office and we call up the agent and the agent goes crazy. He says, you mean you taped him when he was taking drugs and et cetera, et cetera. He says, you guys are never going to get that uh, rights to that. We're never going to let you put his name on it. I mean, what good would it do him? I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What good will it do him? What about Ben Hecht? Ben Hecht was drunk at a party and he spit out the script that became Queen of Outer Space. That didn't hurt Ben Hecht any. It certainly helped Jaja Gabor get her Academy Award. And the guy hangs up on us. So we tell Roger, and Roger says, you know, fighting us in court's not worth it, and the guy probably wants gross points. And I start thinking about it, giving Patty Chayefsky gross points. Why would I give away all this? So anyway, Josh and the guys, that's how the first draft of Rock and Roll High School got written. I know it sounds a little unbelievable, but you know, Sometimes life is like that. So anyway, to sort of pad this out, I was going to play a Grateful Dead version of Dark Star. There's 34 minutes, but let's just go back to one of my intros.
there's a little thing Joey wants to do with us. You ready? Hey, ho, let's go. Hey, ho, let's go. Hey, ho, let's go. Enjoy the movie, everybody. Hey, ho. Enjoy the movie, everybody. You take some music, music, sweet flowing music, a little moving and grooving, and rock and roll will stand. You take heartbeats, drum beat, finger popping and a stomping feet, a little dance that looks so neat. You see why it will stand. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.